We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Everybody, stay with Sense for them. Coming at you with Matthew Pleasy of a Catholic Life and a Catechism class and much other things we'll talk about at the end. But first off, Matthew, thank you for coming up. Thank you for saying yes. And uh, how are you today? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. I've been a fan of your channel now. I don't know for how many years. I mean, I think I five years or so. I've been directing students here and referencing it. So I've been following you for a long time. It's great to finally be on here. Thanks for everything you're doing. Uh, it's, it's, I kind of think of the Just For Men commercial. Not only am I uh, the president, I'm the client, too. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> someone says, I like your channel. I, I usually write back on Twitter, pound me, too, just to take off the me, too, people. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I saw that he wrote an article, Matthew did, on 1 Peter 5, and about St. Martin's Lent. And since we're getting closer, and this could be done for any year, so... This year, this is done on in 2021. This can be done for 2022. 20. This is going to be a timeless discussion. So, Matthew, please tell the people out there who do not have a clue what St. Martin's Lent is, a little bit about it. Um, sure. I mean, that, that's a big undertaking. We can definitely unpack it a little bit more here. But just as a preface, maybe, you know, people watching and now you've missed the start. But, I mean, don't fret. Because the Eastern Catholics, they just started yesterday. They do the equivalent of St. Mark and Blend is their, is their nativity fast. And they start every year on November 15th. We start every year traditionally on November 12th. So it's not like you missed a whole lot. So just pick up, you know, and actually some of the changes have occurred over time. Some groups wouldn't even start this practice until after the Immaculate Conception, after they became a holy day. So it's just plenty of time. Yeah. Don't feel like, oh, I missed it. I'll just write a note in my calendar and begin to text. You know, just pick up with us right now. So what St. Martin's Lent basically is, is think of it as a second Lent from the year. Um, with, with some caveats and some differences. I've done a, a bunch of writing and researching on the history of fasting in the church. And then I, I write for the Fatima Center. I write Catholic Family News. I write now for 1 Peter 5. I've covered some of these in different articles before. But what we have here is in the early church and throughout the Middle Ages, the practice really grew in the church to embrace fasting. So we had not only the Lenten fast and the Ember Day that some people probably know, we had abstinence that was far more commonly practiced. We had the Apostles fast. We, we had um, the Assumption fast. We had fasting on the vigils of the Apostles and some other vigils as well as, as Holy Days. And it changed from time to time and place to place. But generally speaking, a lot of places did observe St. Martin's Lent. It stretches back to the year 480, when St. Gregory of Tours mentioned it in the history of the rings. He referenced one of his predecessors, St. Perpetuus, uh, who instituted there in his secret fast on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from the Feast of St. Martin, which is November 11th, until Christmas. And that's when it started in 480. 
it changed a little bit over time. It changed a little bit in the Middle Ages. Uh, the Church of Milan adopted it. The French adopted it uh, until about the seventh century. And then as we get in the Middle Ages, it started to wane. And this is what we see in the history of fasting. Fasting kind of wanes. Modern man gets last. We see it as well in our liturgy and in everything. But by the 1100s, the church kind of said, well, maybe let's only do abstinence. But fasting is more of a principle of counsel. So it's like you, you should fast, do so. And in fact, there was a controversy. The Archbishop of Braga then wrote to, wrote to Pope Innocent III and said, is this or is this not a requirement? Do we have to fast during St. Martin's Lent? And the Pope didn't respond one way or the other. He simply said, in Rome, we keep the fast. And it led to some ambiguity. And uh, about 100 years later, the Council of Salisbury in 1281, I think it was, said that only monks were required to fast, not the laity. But then we have a few years later, Pope Urban V in the 1300s, he said he wanted every member of the papal court to observe abstinence throughout the whole of Advent, kind of a revival of practice. And then it quickly fell into disarray. And other really than St. Charles Borromeo really promoting it in his own seat, saying, I want you Monday, Wednesday, and Friday as a fast, it kind of fizzled out around then. So uh, we can talk about it a little bit later. The United States did keep a remnant of it uh, up until the 1840s and then one next piece into the 1970s. It kind of was stretching back to the Middle Ages here when you get more of the glory days of Christendom when people embraced fasting and feasting. So the Martin Blend is really a second one to get back to preparation for Christmas because if we're preparing for Easter and our Lord's resurrection and Lent, it's fitting that this great piece of Christmas we can see divide So basically like uh, 50% less Lent. This is the Monday, Wednesday, Friday for this one. Then the other one was Monday through Saturday. Correct, except uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday should be days of abstinence too. So that is the difference. And you are encouraged to keep, uh, I personally keep all the days except Sundays, obviously, as a day fasting, uh, because that was encouraged as well. But you're able to do so. Even St. Francis de Sales said at the time, and he wrote uh, his, um, uh, his book, that if you're able to fast on days other than what the church requires, do so. It's good for you. And of course, he's writing at a time when there's a lot more fasting required. He's saying, I'll always observe it. If you can do others, do it. And I think, like, if we take that same principle, we can look to what did our ancestors used to observe? St. Martin's Lent was observed for over a thousand years by our ancestors. And if we adopt that principle of St. Francis Sales, observe other fasting days if you can, the natural conclusion would be, well, what were the previous days observed so long that are so rich in our history? Those would be the days I voluntarily adopt. So that's what I encourage people to do. But it is a little less strict than Lent. Um, because in Lent, uh, traditionally, you were never allowed to have animal products. You did not have milk. You did not have eggs. You probably didn't care of that. You did not even have that on Sundays. And I did some research and I wrote an article on that to confirm that it was never practiced on Sundays for a long time. That's not the case now. This is just simple, regular, uh, absolutely good practice on a Friday throughout the year, growing in the fast. Uh, it's not a black fast. You can have your morning snack, call it for students, and in the evening. Um, so it is less strict. It's a more joyful aspect to it. We're looking forward to Christmas. But, you know, as everybody should be aware, Advent is a time of penance. Mm -hmm. And if we are just looking forward to Christmas, there is some anticipation there. But with the commercialization of the culture and people having Christmas parties throughout December, 
unless you're doing something, I think that, you know, relatively strict like this, it's going to be so hard to focus on, I'm still preparing for Christmas without celebrating it a month ago. No, yeah. When we first moved out to Carolina, North Carolina, they, uh, we lived in McGannonville, which if you don't know, if, if, you, if people aren't familiar with that, it's Christmas Town is the nickname. Mm-hmm. They put they pay the people to put up Christmas lights all through December, and pretty much three days later after Christmas, they're all gone. So, yeah, like Matthew said, I, I, Christmas music is playing now. You Everything you turn around is all joyful and all this, and some priests are wearing purple, just not because they like the color, but there's penance involved. So how do you, how in modern times can you celebrate some kind of penitential act you don't have in uh, Lent? You don't have to deal with Christmas, uh, uh, Easter music or anything like that, or Lent, Easter lights and things like this. It's very countercultural right now, right? It is. It is. And I think that's one thing that really helps make traditional Catholics what we are to be countercultural, to reclaim our tradition, to restore Christendom. And um, I mean, it, uh, there's a lot that could be said about reclaiming the Lent in fact, and there's a lot that should be said about how it should be observed with the strictness that required and how the church is required it to. And, and I certainly hope, and I see at least, because I'm, I'm a member of some Facebook groups where we try to really encourage people to observe these traditional practices. Uh, but more than that, I mean, St. Martin's Lent, the true Advent fast, is, is something that really I think all Catholics should be aware of. And I think something that maybe is not required, but something that people who are able to voluntarily adopt these practices. But not just this, we have throughout the years, like I said, the vigils of the apostles. I mean, the apostles, these days used to be holy days of obligation. So when you throw that out the way, out the window, and then you say, well, the vigils aren't fasting days anymore. I mean, nobody even thinks about the feast of the apostles anymore. And when you throw out Advent practices, because one, two of the manifestations that really saved with us longer for St. Martin's Lent, even into the modern day United States, was Wednesdays and Fridays of Advent were required days of fasting at, at the time of America's founding until about 1840. Um, the Wednesdays in Advent were, but the Fridays remained. So our ancestors, not that long ago, would have been accustomed to Wednesdays and Fridays in Advent. And then it was not until 1917 when the Code of Canon Law came out, that Fridays were uh, dropped, not only in the United States, but abroad. And anywhere else it was still pretty Wednesday was also dropped. But that's relatively recent. I mean, you know, it's possible you could go back in your family tree and find people not too long ago who they would have known this. The idea that Advent brings on additional fasting beyond just the younger to be with Advent, that it is a penitential season, and we see that manifest in this way. And I've been trying to encourage people as well to observe um, abstinence on Saturdays throughout the year, because until the middle of the 1800s, that was also required, except for uh, the Saturdays in Christmas time. And that's not Adam. We're talking about Christmas time, the Christmas till Candlemas. Uh, yeah. But other than that, unless it was like a great feast day, uh, it was also a day of abstinence, which is also completely lost, I feel like, on 99% of the Catholics. Yeah, Alphonsus talks about fasting on Saturdays for Our Lady pretty much in every book he ever writes, mainly. Um, mm-hmm. St. Martin, why St. Martin? Why not St. Andrew? Why Why specifically St. Martin? So St. Martin, it's called St. Martin because it starts after the Feast of St. Martin uh-huh. on November 11th. Um, 
So St. Martin of Tours, uh, his feast day was really the Catholic equivalent of Thanksgiving in the Middle Ages. He would come together, he would celebrate, it would almost be like a Mardi Gras. Uh, but it seems that he would honor St. Martin. He would carry lanterns, which was a tradition people would do in his honor, showing forth his charity. You're probably familiar with the story of him cutting off his clothes and giving to beggar that was actually our Lord. Um, so charity should reign out uh, in one's life. You remember that in St. Martin. Um, the traditional meal that's had on St. Martin's Day is goose. They goose dinner, celebrating, having meat kind of for the last time too, and then looking forward to Christmas. So you start St. Martin's Lent by remembering this is one of the greatest things for his charity. He was also one of the first confessors, non-martyrs, really honored like he was throughout the church. Um, the unfortunate thing is, I feel like the feast of St. Martin's been really obscure. Nobody talks about it, nobody really celebrates it anymore. And it was kind of mass too, an armistice day took its place on November 11th. And uh, anybody who's familiar with history would be aware that uh, Woodrow Wilson, who instituted it, was a notorious anti Catholic. And some people speculate one of the reasons he put it on that day, of course, it was the day World War ended, but he really wanted to blot out any sort of Catholic holiday because he hated Catholic uh, and unfortunately, people now call that a Veterans Day, and there's nothing wrong with honoring our veterans and praying for the dead. And I certainly encourage people to do that on that day, but it's more than that. It's a day to honor St. Martin, and it was proudly done so with great festivities and fanfare. That I mean, the harvest would just have happened a few weeks or months ago, and the wine, which was just made from the grape harvest, was the first last of the third of St. Martin's Day have it for the first time so it was all around here's the food of our labor let's remember this great saint of charity let's put charity in our life let's carry lanterns remembering what our lord said that we are light to burn before others um we see that manifested go around doing that and it would just be a great day to celebrate and thanksgiving to god and even though we celebrate thanksgiving at least here in the united states a few days a few weeks later i think that catholics should observe that as a Thanksgiving, of course, and I did. I had Thanksgiving dinner that night. It's funny. I'm glad you brought up the whole uh, Veterans Day uh, Wilson thing, because if if you're not out there, you're going, "What? I can't believe he said that." Well, Blessed Carl uh, was petitioning peace for everywhere, and Wilson was one of the main ones that was going, "We got to get rid of this Carl guy." And uh, Chris Ferrara has a great book, "Liberty of God Had Failed," and talks about the state religion version of All Saints Day is Veterans Day, is the state equivalent, the anti-church versus us. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the, you're familiar with Leon DuPont. Everything, it seems like everything's all tied together. In Catholicism, everything's all tied together. He was born in, Mart in Martinque, in Martinque, in the Bahamas or Caribbean, went out to France, and they were trying to get rid of St. Martin out there. Digging up his body, wanted to build a road over his body, and they missed his body, thankfully. And now he's they got in it. The Masons were trying to get rid of his body because of the same thing Matthew was talking about. Such a great saint and forgotten about. So I guess you could say Wilson was the one that put the nail in the coffin on that, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, I think he did. I think uh, Woodrow Wilson was a Freemason, right? I believe he was. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that fits in with, with that sort of uh, agenda that they had for so long. Why is this important to basically rediscover it, especially penance-wise? Uh, you mentioned 
you know, back in the 1200s, 700s, etc. Are we to ones that think, well, we got Lent, we only get the fast two days mandatory in all year. Comparing everything to what's going on in society, why should people take this seriously? Not just like, you know, that's a cute thing. We'll do a goose next time. Maybe we'll give up something. Why is this something we should get serious as a heart attack about? I think that one of the greatest manifestations of that is Our Lady of Panama. Her call for penance and penance and penance. And um, in my work like with the Panama Center, that's what I really encourage. We are, we have to adopt that. We have to pray more. We have to pray the rosary every day. We have to encourage people to become Catholic. We can't shy around from that. It is not possible to be saved outside of the church. We have to work as much as possible to bring about the salvation of ourselves, our family, uh, our friends, anybody else in our sphere of influence. And to honor our lady family's request, there must be penance. And penance, chiefly, has always uh, included fasting and abstinence as really one of the greatest manifestations of our form of penance. I mean, even our Lord said that some forms of um, demons will be driven out by prayer and fasting. Our Lord Himself, as everybody can know, had fasted as an example, not because He had to. I mean, obviously, He got it. He had no sins to execute as His own. He did not need to undergo any sort of trial in order to know what to do or to conquer demons. He could at any moment have done it. I mean, drive, drive them away. So He did that as our example. And if we look at what the church taught for a very long time, and I don't hear it talked about too much more, but it is an older catechism. They mentioned that the apostles themselves instituted life, that it was not an invention of Constantine and the medieval church or called the apostles started life. And if you go back to the very early church, uh, Wednesdays and Fridays were very common practice as fasting uh, throughout much of the world, and some parts uh, of the world adopted uh, Saturdays as well. That's why you have um, the adage, like when in Rome, it was the Romans do. When people would go to Rome, they would fast on Saturdays, so you know, they would leave England, they wouldn't. Um, that's where that comes from. But to honor Our Lady of Fatima's request for penance, it has to involve fasting. That is reclaiming um, our ancestry. That's reclaiming our heritage. That is, if you look back at how we used to fast, um, it was said that we fasted so much it rivaled the Muslim fast. So they were terrified of our fasting. Uh, and now they know nobody even thinks of us as, as fasting people. But one thing that I did recently is I put together a calendar of sorts of people who wanted to follow more traditional fasting next year, 2022. Um, it lists the obligatory days for 1960, uh, uh, as well as, of course, on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade in the United States, so that, that is a required day of penance here. Uh, but then it also lists uh, optional, sort of previously obligatory days of fasting or absence, or both, as well as recommended days. Like some people recommended the vigil of um, uh, Corpus Christi or the vigil of Mass in some places, which were never obligatory in the Roman Church, uh, but some places or groups or saints uh, recommended that, so those were listed as well. Um, so if you go to my blog, Catholic Life, there's a recent article about that, but if you added it up, you're looking at over 200 days of penance a year. So that is our heritage. If you really observe Lent, the Ember Days, Rogation Days, Vigil, St. Martin's Lent, the Apostles' Fast, the Assumption Fast, and Fasting helps prepare us for these days. You know, they not only help us expiate our sins, they not only help us do penance for, not, not just our sins, but those of others, they help us conquer our passions. 
that they help us, you know, really restrain those, especially passions for those who struggle with um, impurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, fasting can be very instrumental in many preaching professors who recommend fasting. So if you struggle with that, I highly encourage adopting periods of fasting too. It, but no matter what you do, I think it's very, very important to realize it's not a diet. It's not a fad. It's not an exercise routine. Um, you, know, you can take vitamins. You can take medicine. So it's not uh, to say anything against that. But you're not doing it for the purpose of losing weight or performing better in the sport. You're doing this to honor God, to fulfill the requirements of heaven, to reconnect with our Catholic past. Um, I think a lot of you who watch your channel probably understand the importance of the traditional Latin Mass and recovering that and, and doing as much as possible to spread that. And some people are also really doing the same about the bravery, recovering those traditions before the changes, not only uh, in the 1960s, but beforehand the changes by Pius XII or Pius uh, X even. There were certain very noble characteristics of Agrippa beforehand that in hindsight were preferable. Um, fasting, I feel like, is the third leg of that stool of the church's public worship. So we have obviously the mass and the great, uh, but fasting as well. That was an exterior mark of a Catholic life. So to cover that is to help recover. Yeah, fasting without prayer is basically just dieting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, 200 days. So if anybody's thinking that's overwhelming, if uh, we brought up before the think locally, act locally thing, stop worrying about trying to convert the world, worry about your neighborhood, same idea in this, right? Focus on doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three days, and then build up for Lent. Kind of like a mini boot camp, as one priest says, for Lent, right? The main boot camp. This is a like a, I don't know, preseason type deal and a mindset for the big one. Yeah, I mean, you really observe the Lenten fast is the strictness of the fast. That's why the Eastern called the Great Fast, and, and rightfully so. That's why traditionally no meat was ever had or animal products. That's why in the Middle Ages, when the, before the Lenten fast started, at the end of Fat Tuesday, your butter and your milk, you just thrown it outside. I mean, because you don't have refrigerator, it's not going to be good uh, after all this time. People weren't keeping it, and I'll just eat it on Sunday. That was not loud, you know. Absolutely started on Ash Wednesday, and it did not end. That's why we had Easter eggs, you know. That's why people would celebrate with those the cultural traditions with food. That's why people would use up, like in, uh, like around me, pasta are very common on that Tuesday. They use up all of your eggs and your milk, and you make these Polish desserts that you really only eat this day, and they're super high in calories. But that's okay, because you're not going to eat a whole lot going forward. So let's just celebrate now. Of course, our country was let and never okay, but celebration, having good food. Yeah, we, we must do penance to ourselves because we are sinners and we, we can help honor our Lord and the church and convert souls by offering this up. And this is a great form to do so. Um, and like you said, think locally. You know, you don't have to feel like you have to get everybody to do it. Start with yourself or maybe your immediate family. Try to encourage other people to do it. Start to you know, small yourself to build up. Um, so many people look to January 1st and like, oh, I need to eat healthier. I'm just eating this poorly over, over Christmas. And I remind people, one, Christmas is still going on in January. Um, and two, if you had a Thursday, Martin's Lent, you wouldn't be worried about this. Because, I mean, January, there's a small break between St. Martin's Lent and St. Lent. So you should be enjoying those times. Yeah, you should have lost a few LBs uh, in December. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, how was your first, when you first started doing this, what were some uh, thoughts in your head and practices that you uh, did for maybe someone that's thinking about, well, what can I do? I mean, because I'm sure there's people itching going, you know, I could do that, but I might look weird or, uh, you know, going to a Christmas party at the at the company Christmas party. Like, what are they going to think of me? And well, what, am I, what if I thought I'm the only one on the street without decorations out? Things like that. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, just as a private source, remember it's more important than what a lawyer thinks than what you would know. But from a practical perspective, you know, drinks are allowed. So go to Christmas party and have some beer. I mean, that's fine. You're probably familiar with during Lent, you know, the monks would mostly drink beer, and there's actually beer only fast. So, well, I was an exercise science they had on that beer diet. They had a beer yeah, diet right. with nutrition class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's where the Doppelbach beer, I mean, I had one when I was in Germany once, and I mean, that's a strong, but you think about, oh, monks, they would just have four a day, and that's all they would have, because they call them liquid bread. But liquids are allowed. So, I mean, I don't think you have to look wrong. You can just say, oh, I'm not eating this, or I've already eaten because if you're going to a party, um, at least for me, I try to eat my meals around 4 o'clock or so every day, so right around the time the sun goes down or so, not waiting too late uh, in the day, uh, especially if you know, the, the snack in the morning, people often say a fast day get one meal, two smaller meals, we don't eat full of meals. I don't like that definition. I don't think that makes sense. Don't call it a meal. It's not a meal. Um, I think a snack is more appropriate in most people's mind. You know, for more snack and evening snack, um, together they can't equal the meal. The technical name for the morning snack is a persuasion, and the collation is had in the evening. It has taken different forms over the church's history. The prusculum was actually introduced only a couple hundred years ago. So if you can go without it in the morning, that would be even better. So their ancestors in the ladies did not have that. And in fact, for so long, um, the prusculum was basically only bread. And if you look at the degrees from um, the council of, of one of the councils in Baltimore, they actually had requirements for how many ounces they'll had to be. I think it would only be two ounces. And the collation is way down. Um, one interesting uh, piece of St. Martin's one that is really longer than, than the others, even longer than the Wednesdays and Fridays and Advent, it's Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve was always really going back to as far as the record felt in very, very short, a day of fasting. And it remained as such until the 1960s. Um, and what I what I always confuse is some people always you know, argue with me on that. I say, you know, when I was young, I was with grandma. We were not fasting. And then I have to remind people, well, when you were young, you weren't fasting. Because back then, fasting started at age 21. Other than um, the Eucharistic fast, which is obviously a totally different matter than what we're talking about right now. Um, fasting began at age uh, 21. And then it was revised uh, in the 60s. People it and fasting ended at um, when somebody turned 60. So grandma probably wasn't fasting either. Probably didn't have to. So your memory of that, when you're hanging out with grandma's house that day having cookies, is probably accurate. You were not required to fast. Doesn't mean it wasn't a requirement for a very long time. And abstinence as well. Um, you're probably familiar with the Italian custom of the Feast of Seven Dishes. On Christmas Eve, you have seven different kinds of fish. People use them to get and you celebrate. And it's seven, you know, relate to the seven sacraments. Or really large Italian family who has 12 fishes, and they all come on to the 12 apostles. 
the smaller family, you know, might have five, they might have five rooms. So, I mean, there's so many, you know, derivations of it, but it's an important part of, I think, it does have a history in different countries too. But just, you know, keep those days as they lasting, but throw out a certain amount of, of fish for that meal. It has some sort of symbolic significance. And you do still see restaurants sometimes doing those festivals. You still see some families keep the coat. Um, even if nowadays they say it's not explicitly required anymore, but Christmas Eve was for a long time the last day of preparation. Even though in the breezy that morning, it's even joyful, almost like Christmas was starting with the antiphon. But at the same time, they're not quite yet, you know. I haven't crossed the finish line. It's like running a marathon. Don't give up when you see the finish line. Don't start to walk, you know, pace and go through the end. And that's what I feel like it is here. So practically speaking, you can have beverages, that's fine. Plan your meals around the time that works for you and your family. Um, if it's earlier or, or later or whatever it is, um, you don't have to make yourself feel ill. You can have a food scoop, you can have a collation. Uh, I think a lot of people have trouble just initially on because people in the United States are just so accustomed to eating so much. We get all these meals, we can have snacks so often. You just can't. Um, you can't now. So you know what you're eating. So, you really don't need to eat that much. And that's what a lot of people in Europe say too. They're, they eat, some people I know there aren't fasting, but the way they eat is almost the equivalent of our fasting. Mm-hmm. You don't have to eat as much as you really do. And I will say also, just from a practical perspective, when I started it myself, it was hard. Um, for the first year, it was harder than other years. And then just the first few days of the fast, I feel like it's always a little harder. Because you're accustomed to eating at certain times and Changes. But the nice thing is, if you're not eating lunch and you're working with someone, working for yourself at home, and you don't have to use that lunch time for lunch, that's the time you can pray the rosary. If you had difficulty finding time, well, guess what? You just found time. If you difficulty praying the angels, well, you've got a whole hour of time to sit down and rosary. You want to reconnect with family members? Did you want to do something? Did you want to read an article? Did you want to watch a great video on your TV channel? This is your opportunity. You have a whole hour free because you don't have to eat. So just don't, you know, soul. Don't don't be like, ah, I, I hate this. I'd be glad when it's over. It's good. It's good for penance. I mean, it's going to be some at times. But look forward to it. Look forward to Christmas. Bring off that Christmas. You know, play with that in songs. And think about, I'm really going to look forward to Christmas. You know, I'm going to celebrate it for 40 days. And I want to have a lot of party then. But until then, I'm working out my salvation. There's that old G.K. Uh, Chesterton line, uh, if, you, if you can't fast, you don't know how to feast. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I look forward. I, I can't wait for Christmas. We'll turn on the Christmas music while we're eating dinner and all that. And we're voting it until then. It's kind of like a not a blackout, but we're having, we, we have fun. But I want to wait till after. Thank, thank you, Pandora, for being around because <laughs> the radio station's. <laughs> oh, I know. I've been avoiding the radio station, too. And I mean, I even see people talk about putting up trees already. You know, crazy. I mean, I won't put up mine probably until about that day Sunday, but I probably won't light it until Christmas Eve night. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you, can, you can put a little bit of stuff. I'll put a bear tree maybe, you know, the week before Christmas. You know, it's anticipation. It's supposed to be like that. When you just say, oh, it's Christmas now, put everything up. And you're like, those, you're like the pagans, really, who celebrate just the commercial. Yep. Second day of Christmas is the Feast of St. Stephen and listening to that song mm-hmm. about uh, about him. And next thing you know, I see Christmas trees on the side of the road. I'm like, what's going on? Yep. You know, yep. I haven't thought about it. Wait a minute, putting up my tree that day and just picking up a 
relevant. That's a good idea. Because <laughs> we'll we'll wait till that. Last year we waited till the last week, and uh, we couldn't find anything except for Lowe's. But one good thing is it's almost seventy percent off by that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there was one year we decided to exchange gifts on uh, the Epiphany Day, uh, just to try out a different you know cultural traditions in some countries. And by the time that came around, I feel like all the gifts I was buying, you know, from January 1st on, like everything was like massively discounted. I'm like, I'll take those Christmas cards now. I'll take all of that. Like it it pays the weight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you have, let me pull it up real quick. There you go. We have the catechism class you do as well. What is that all about? So uh, I'm the president of catechismclass.com. Uh, I've been leading uh, our organization now since 2010. Uh, we were founded in 2004 by a priest, Father James Adelava. Um, he has since passed away a few years ago, but he was a priest uh, from Pennsylvania. He founded our organization at the time when the internet was new with a vision, really a missionary vision, to how can we bring the faith in all its fullness, in all its richness, to as many people as possible at my parish. We cannot attend in-person religious ed and want to supplement it, or who are simply adults who want to learn more. And from them, the idea grew. How do we now reach not only people outside my parish, but in my diocese, in the United States, or abroad, with the faith? Um, so that was that was how it started. Since then, um, I started to saw the Zetalaz over around 2007-2008. And then I took over in 2010, and he helped us until um, in 2018. Uh, but what we do now is we do all aspects of Catholic faith formation in its entirety. So if you're adults looking to study the faith or learn more, if you're catechumens who are interested in trying out an online RCA course without voting in person because you want to make sure you're receiving the utmost quality and not compromising that, and studying on a time that works for you, we have that. We have marriage preparation, um, online program for children, um, like a homeschool equivalent or CCD, we use by a number of parishes as well. Um, our best-selling course is our baptism preparation class for godparents and parents preparing for their children's baptism. Uh, so we do all of that and, and a whole lot more. And I will say it's very rewarding, very rewarding to do so much to not only help people convert, to help people study for their confirmation the first communion, to teach children the faith or, or adults. Um, we've even had people who I remember years ago now, um, a woman, I believe she was in her 70s, she wrote us. And she said she was Catholic her whole life. And um, she was a practicing Catholic too her whole life. Um, and so she was very, already very acquainted with the faith and very well with the that every week, um, sometimes more often. And she said she decided to enroll in our adult faith formation course as one of our flagship offerings to go over roughly 80 lessons in depth on the faith. And she wrote us to thank us because she said she learned things in that that she never was taught her entire life. She said she learned about purgatory in a way that she never heard. Because we believe very much and don't just quote, um, you know, the Baltimore Catechism is great, but maybe you need that pair with the Catechism of Council of Trent. Maybe you need that pair with the Catechism of St. Pius. And maybe you need somebody explaining it. They're just hearing the same thing in different ways. And then she read Father John Harden's definition of purgatory that we included as well. She said it clicked. For the first time, she said it was just kind of like she understood this is a bad definition, but it resonated with her. And she said, like, she never heard it explained that way. And I feel like um, one of our missions is to help people that 
to know the faith, to love the faith, and to live the faith. So that's what we're about. And thankfully, we serve thousands of people over the years, continue to serve any, uh, as many as possible for the faith. Um, again, very rewarding. Um, I really try to make sure that people are learning the basics, and learning more than the basics. Um, another thing that people mention is how we talk about how, while it's not dogmatic, a lot of people, a lot of theologians agree that um, St. John the Baptist was cleansed from original sin in his mother's womb at the moment of his visitation. So he was actually born without original sin. That's one of the reasons that his birthday, our Lady and our Lord, is celebrated because we want to treat people born without original sin. And I feel like 99% of people don't, do not know that they black. So uh, I've told people before, there is no possibility you can take that class and not walk away learning something. It's just not possible. So, teaching the faith in its fullness and then getting you to live it out. We believe in praying the rosary, praying the divine office, living it out in activity. So that's how we have a seven-step approach to all of our lessons. It starts with introduction, opening prayers, scripture, Catechism, explanation, activity, closing prayer, and then the final prayer. So that's just what we're about. Um, we are a uh, small team. Um, all of our team members have to um, sign the oath against modernism. Um, all of us have to be fully committed to the church teaching. So um, it is very much our mission in life to how do we help as many people as possible to become Catholic and become the best Catholic possible. And I will say, like I said, I'm a big fan of your channel. We definitely link out to quite a handful of videos to some activities and say, you want to learn what we do. That's for the uh, her for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. It's great. I mean, some people have said, like, we really like that video. So, you know, doing, sharing the stuff that you're doing because there's some good stuff out there. And catechumens or lifelong Catholics, everybody needs to hear it. Got to make time. Um, my grandfather taught me one thing before he died, and that was life. Um, is always a learning experience. It's about lifelong learning. And he said that the day you stop learning is the day you die. Uh -huh. And he said, learn something every single day. And you believe that too with the faith. Um, just because you went to Catholic school 12 years does not mean anything. Even if you went to a great Catholic school for 12 years, uh, there are theologians who spend the, the notion that somebody is already fully aware of everything that they're teaching. That would just mean it's a superficial yeah. Always, I always love that. I spend time studying every day. So yeah, I always love that. I went, I know everything. I went to Catholic school. Here. When we're on the, we do the street evangelization. I've had many people. I have a, you can't see it, but I have a Vendee flag I meant I made with the, this, it's, it's the banner, it's the, but I made a bigger version, and I would hand my keys to them, dangle them, go, here's my car. Can you tell me what that is? they all walk away with a CD or a metal because they have no clue what that is. So it's always, they, anybody ever says, I was an altar boy. I, I went to Catholic school. That just translates into, I didn't know anything. I didn't learn a thing. I went to Catholic school, didn't learn anything. <laughs> uh, honestly, the, the sad fact is most people who go to RCA or go to Catholic school do not know the thing. And they should not be in authority. They should never present themselves out as, they shouldn't even say it when they have it full because it's quite scandalous too. Their opinions of things or their very limited knowledge. Um, I have three state classes of ours. We have decent state classes and priests to be better teachers and better educated. So right. we have we have classes for all levels. Introduction to the faith, intermediate, advanced. It's not to say that 
there's not a class two, there's a class for everybody. But just so you're aware, it's not like you can reach a point, of, oh, I, I know it all, I'm good, I'm done. It is a lifelong experience. And it's great to see, like, you know, the priests want to learn more, too, because, I mean, they go through so much training, the seminary training as well. You would hate for them to reach the end, like, even, even the, I feel like good ones of them at the end say, I don't know it all. I'm going to keep up with it, and I'm going to keep sharing. And that's like what our Lord did, too. He brought together the apostles. He brought together a small group. And then each of the apostles also went out in the small groups, and they taught others. And that's kind of what I try to do with some of our work. We want to teach you. We want to help you. If you have questions on the series, you write us. At the end, I hope you're sharing some of what you learned. I hope you're being uh, a missionary in your own life, amongst your family and your friends and sharing, sharing videos from this channel, sharing articles online like from 1 Peter 5, uh, recommending fasting and abstinence. Uh, I mean, I wrote uh, a handful of articles on it before. There's a, a book. That catechism class produces, um, and it's based on our online course uh, on the precepts of the church. So a lot of what I talked about in fasting today is covered in that course, with a whole lot more. That's just under fasting. There's so much that can be said on holy days of obligations too, how they change from 36 required days a year to our current one. But that's a whole other topic. And that's a whole other research project. But there's just so much to learn, you know, and it's so much, and it's and it's a great religion. And it's, it's, yeah, it's it's. it's is finding gold and wanting to share it and you keep digging to find more gold. It's, it's the beauty that you find. You want to find more of it. It's just like you watch a good TV show and you get hooked on that series. You want more of it. It's the same thing except spirituality-wise. Exactly. Like today was the feast of St. Gertrude and today in the brewery, what was the antiphon uh, at Lodge? It was about the pearl of great price in the field. You sell all that you have for it. And that's great to see people who are converting or really take their faith seriously, they're like, it is the pearl of great price, the sacrament. Uh, I mean, so many people talk about um, morning routines, waking up, being positive, um, you know, being in a good mindset before your day. Hopefully some people also talk about your morning prayers and 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 uh, whether that be the devotion or whatever, just, just simple prayers. You know, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, Lord, help me to say to do what I should do for you, Lord, inspire me, help me to know what I should do, and I have the strength to do it. But then, you know, I feel like some people, and I try to do this too, but well, I just be thankful. You know, most people say, like, I'm thankful for my life and my family, or for what I have, but how often do you say I'm thankful for the Catholic faith? I'm thankful for the sacrament. I'm thankful that out of all the people in the world who made it possible for me to receive them, I'm thankful that I can still go to Holy Mass. I'm thankful that for confession. Imagine if I sin once, all hope was lost, there's no need to be forgiven. Like, there's so much to be thankful for. I'm thankful for the saints who interceded for me, whose lives are there for me. I'm thankful for our Lord, for everything he does for me. He's truly alive in heaven right now, and he hears my prayers. But that, there's so much that if somebody, I think, just paused a little bit in the morning, or even like, to be thankful. To be thankful to my fasting. Those, that's a great thing to add when you have extra time during fasting, you don't have to get to breakfast in the morning. But I'm so thankful today for what you give me. And because I'm so thankful, I offer this fast to you. It's to offer back up this time to you because I don't need everything that I eat. I'm so thankful for what you give me. I'm nothing without you. And I offer it all today to you. And then party when, when Christ is born. That's... Yes, a big party. <laughs> so Matthew, this was great. Where, where can they find, where can people find more of your uh, articles and such? 
Um, so in addition to the classes I offer on catechismclass.com, I, I write as well. Um, my blog is A Catholic Life, that blogspot.com. You can find articles there. You can find articles on the Fatima Center's website, Fatima.org. Um, I usually have an article every week there. Um, it's usually apologetic uh, related, uh, but usually it could take every week. You can find me in Catholic Family News, where I'm currently going through the Roman Catechism. I've been explaining it now for close to three years, and I'm part on every single part. We're nearing the end, and then we have an exciting new project. We're going to be hoping to explain in monthly series after that, so that's in Catholic Family News. And then you can find me at 1 Peter 5, where I'm writing a monthly piece for Forgotten Customs of Liturgical Leaders. Barton's Lens was one. There's a very good one on Advent coming up, so we have a lookout for that, then there will be one on Christmas. If you go back and read past articles on the Forgotten Customs of Assumption Day, you can read articles on Our Lady's Nativity, the Forgotten Customs for there, or for the Exhortation of the Cross. So there's a lot of good material there. There's good recommendations for priests, too, on how to live out these forgotten pieces of the past with your own um, parishioners and how to live it out as a family. So all of those um, are some of the places I write for. So that could be a good start. Yeah, we're going to have to do something on our ladies' nativity. I saw that. I want to do something on that, but I wanted to get St. Martin in there first, start the mm -hmm. fasting before uh, the end of Advent hits. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Advent uh, technically is not started yet, even though it starts much earlier. It's six weeks long in the Ambrosian. Um, it hasn't started yet in the Roman right, but the Advent fast has started, and it's okay if you're late. You know, it's like the parable our Lord told about the labor. It's okay if you're late. The chair is yours, too. So, yeah. And it's not like those of us who started earlier, Matt, I'm like, oh, you're showing the Advent fast late. You know, we've been here all along. It's November 12th. Why is this guy coming here again? all these spirits? It's not like that at all. You know, it's not like a pie where we cut it out and join so much to go around. I hope anybody watching is thinking about, I want to prepare for Christmas. I don't want to indulge in this commercialization. I want to do something to kind of offer the end of the year as a sacrifice to our Lord and the year on a good note. This, I think, is a fantastic idea. And if you don't want to jump into all six days, Monday through Saturday is fasting yet, the practice in many places, as I said, was Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and then other days in absence. Try that. If you need a snack in the morning and the evening, that's fine. You don't, don't have it. But I mean, there's just there's so many accommodations that can be made that you shouldn't be like, oh, just it's not for me. You know, there is a way we can at least incorporate it in our own lives, and I think that that's one way to really drum out that Christmas music that we're hearing now. You know, we're focused on Advent, we're focused on this, and we will be celebrating, but we'll wait until Christ is born in the manger, then we'll celebrate. Done his way, but he's not here yet. <laughs> Be the Advent Grinch, but do it right. <laughs> exactly, the Advent Grinch. <laughs> Matthew, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, this was great. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me on. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Everything will be in the show notes. Check it out. Is uh, the Catechism class and the links to Fatima Center, Catholic Family News, One Peter Five, and the Catholic Life. So check out Matthew's work. And again, thanks, man. And we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, Steve.